Peace to all of you from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Our text for our sermon is Luke chapter 4, verses 38 through 44. Jesus got up, left the synagogue, and went into Simon's house. Simon's mother-in-law was suffering from a high fever. They asked him to help her. He stood over her, rebuked the fever, and left her. Immediately she got up and began to serve them. As the sun was setting, they brought to him all who were sick with various diseases. He laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. Demons also came out of many people, crying out, You are the Son of God! He rebuked them and did not allow them to speak, because they knew that he was the Christ. When it was day, he went out to a deserted place. The crowds were looking for him. They went up to him and were trying to prevent him from leaving them. But he told them, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns too, because that is why I was sent. And he continued to preach in the synagogues in the land of the Jews. This is the word of our Lord. Jesus in our text says, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God came to the ears of everyone who heard Jesus preach. But you know, in the same chapter, in Luke chapter 4, in fact, depending on what printing of the Bible you own, it might even be on the same page as today's text. You find Jesus in his hometown of Nazareth, and, and he reads out of Isaiah, and he tells them, Today in your hearing, this word has been fulfilled. They're amazed at the authority he has, because he actually preached on Scripture, not opinions and all the stuff that's so prevalent throughout Christian history. But in the long run, they begin to say, Isn't this Joseph's son? Behind it, you know, and put it in modern day terms is, isn't this that kid that played that really big prank when he was in high school? Except for Jesus didn't sin. He was holy. He never would have played that big prank, but they couldn't get over it. He points out to them that, you know, the same kind of rejection in Israel is what led God to send the prophet Elijah to a Phoenician, to a Canaanite woman, instead of to his own people. Now, we do know he was using Elijah to keep 7,000 knees from bowing to Baal at that time. But the people were rejecting the kingdom of God. And so they grab Christ and they start heading for a cliff. They're going to chuck him off it. There's always something kind of funny and yet something very amazing. They should have seen the power of Jesus' deity. We've seen riots, even in America, on, on evening news and stuff like that. You don't turn around in the middle of a riot and say, no, not my time, and just walk between the crowds. But Jesus did. There was a demonstration of the power of the kingdom of God that they should have embraced, but they didn't. And so today we will work through our text and we will ask that question. When the kingdom of God comes near to you, how do you avoid rejecting it? Our text begins by saying, then Jesus arose and departed away from the synagogue. After leaving Nazareth, Jesus heads up to Capernaum. This would be a base of ministry for him. And he's preached in the synagogue in Capernaum, even exercised a demon from a person that day. It's a Sabbath day. And the point that I want to get at is, God had set up worship in Israel uh, several centuries earlier. He had set it up so that the people would know it was a commandment that on the Sabbath day they would come to where they would hear the word of God and they were supposed to hear the word of God. They had continued by building their synagogues, which we'll say is like the grandparent of our modern day uh, Sunday church service. So all Jesus had to do to bring the word to them as a whole was appear at their synagogues on a Sabbath day. Now, 
Today, so many people in American society are so far away from the word that they're more like that uh, a Samaritan woman at the well where Jesus comes to her. Dear woman, would you give me a drink? Whoa, I'm unclean in your eyes. How could you, would you ask that? But the point here is the Jewish people knew where to go to hear the word of God. And Jesus was there. He is the word of God. He's the spokesman for the Trinity. And today, many people who at least have contact with Christianity should know, ah, there's a church building. That's where I go. And other people, when they don't know that, God sends a Christian to them. But, the, but then the Christian's job should be to bring them into the family of Christ where they would regularly hear the word of God. So when the kingdom of God comes near to you, how do you avoid rejecting it? By gathering to hear the word of God where it is preached. And the new man that the Holy Spirit creates in you and I that is connected to Christ will regularly want to gather and hear that word. When it doesn't, of course, we have a sinful nature, but maybe we need to seek and figure out why that is. Maybe it's in us, maybe something else is going on. More on that later. But then our text continues. Then Jesus arose, departed away from the synagogue and entered into the house of Simon. This is Simon, the, the disciple you and I know as Peter. Uh, Jesus had nicknamed him basically in English Rocky because of his rock uh, solid confession. Uh, what happens here? We're not told why Jesus ends up in his home, but you don't have to be Sherlock Holmes to figure out. Peter, had, Peter has a home in Capernaum and says, Lord, why don't you come over to my house and, and, and have dinner? And so Jesus and the disciples go. I want to point out something. Simon, a disciple, figures this out. He takes the word into his home. All too often it happens that people have solid, good pastors or whatever. They hear the word of God and they walk out the doors of the church and they are done for the week hearing the word of God. How wonderful it is when families take it into their homes and they discuss the sermon. They discuss the lessons. Maybe the pastor didn't know their particular struggles that week. And certainly some of them are embarrassing and we wouldn't want them exposed from the pulpit, right? But we apply it to our house. When our kids are in middle school, we take them through catechism where we take them through instruction. And it's amazing to me how often you can tell the parents that are behind it and the ones who aren't because the ones who are behind it help their children with their homework. I encourage them. You can tell they discuss Sunday school lessons and things like that. And usually those kids oftentimes really click right along. Others, I'm more than happy to help them. And sometimes it's sad when the families almost seem to be working against it. We've set it up that you can get devotions for free. Like our, our Northwestern Publishing House, our Synod's Publishing House, Prince Meditations. Our, our congregation gives them away for free. They literally take three minutes to read. And lots of times, just a couple of minutes to discuss the, it's a very simple lesson that's taught in them each day. They, they focus on just one main thing that in our families. So when the kingdom of God comes near to you, how do you avoid rejecting it? By gathering uh, where it is preached, but then also, like Peter invited Jesus into his home, taking that word into your home, keeping it there in the house, living out that faith. Now we're told, now Simon's mother-in-law was being afflicted by a great fever, and so they asked Jesus about her. And so Jesus stood over her, rebuked the fever, and it left her. Then she immediately stood up and was serving them. Now that them would be Jesus and the disciples. Few things here we want to bring out. Number one, one of the largest Christian denominations often claims that it is headed up by a man who has succession from the apostle Peter himself and that clergy should never be married because Peter himself wasn't married. What? Do you read the scriptures? Peter had a mother-in-law. Paul himself, when he writes uh, to, the, to uh, the Corinthians, says, don't I have a right to take a wife like Peter? 
Yeah, Peter had a mother-in-law. Be careful. You want to make sure theology is actually based on listening to the words of all of Scripture. But I want to point out, we're going to talk a little bit more about her serving them. But Jesus rebukes the fever like he rebuked uh, demons. Now, you knock this off. And it leaves her. And it shows the healing is immediate. Not, you know, he said some words and it encouraged her. And eventually she got better. No, she jumps up and serves. Now, we're going to get more into the serving in a minute. She is so overstruck with the fever that others come and take her problem to the Lord. Lord, Peter's mother-in-law, she's got a, a great fever. We know fevers can do brain damage. Fevers can kill people. Jesus immediately heals her. We can miss it if we read too quickly over this text. They actually were praying to God because they took somebody else's problem to the Lord in prayer. And our text continues at verse 40. This was a Sabbath day. So until the sunset, at least like the Pharisees thought it would be a sin to heal and stuff like that, as we know, because they came after Jesus for healing on the Sabbath. But in verse 40, we're told, then as the sun was setting, all, as many as had any being sick with various diseases, led them to Jesus. Then he kept placing his hands on each one and was healing them. Notice the personal care that Jesus takes. Others bring these sick to the Lord. And they, Lord, my loved one is sick. And, you know, Jesus doesn't have to place his hands on them. We know, for example, the centurion had a strong faith. Lord, just say the word, you'll heal my servant. You don't need to come place their hands on them. And it's, wow, what tremendous faith. Faith healers today often are shysters and they try to imitate this, like they're channeling God's power and smack somebody on the floor and stuff. Jesus placing his hands on them was very personal care. It was very much saying, you individually matter to me and I love you. The healing was separate from placing his hands on them, but the healing ultimately was the act of his love. Now, when Jesus did these kinds of healings, Jesus was already proclaiming the word. It was to validate that, yeah, I am the Messiah. I am the one who has the word of God. But he doesn't just stop with healing people of physical ailments. We're told in the first half of verse 41, now also demons were coming out from many. Lots of times the devil sends hardships into our lives because he wants us to do as Job's wife told him, curse the Lord and die. But to curse the Lord would be an act of unbelief. That would lead us to hell. God tells the devil, no, that won't do my loved one, my little lamb any good. But there are times he allows illness to come upon us so that it reminds us to cling to him in faith. So it reminds us he's promised he's working for us and faith will cling to that even when it seems the opposite. Lord, I am stricken with this disease and it is, it is killing me. It seems like you want me to die. But you've promised you love me. Many times after a sickness is over, we can look back and see how God was showing us our faith was very strong. We did cling to him. Our, our faith was weak here and he was teaching us to cling to him. Lots of times you'll find that people who are older handle stress and anxiety better because they've been there. They've done that. God uses that to teach us to cling to him. And demon possession. People would see Jesus had authority over demons. Even a demon-possessed person. Now, it's not good to be possessed by a demon, but even a demon-possessed person would be a witness to others. This is the guy who has the word. It's not full of the fluff and vagaries that has no authority. Ultimately, what I want you to get out of this is as people brought uh, others problems to the Lord, also bring your problems to the Lord. When you're in the kingdom of God, don't sit there and pout about your problems. Bring them to the Lord and know he knows better than you. Leave the solution and the timing to God by the faith he's given you. He promises you he's working for you. 
Matthew uh, also records a little bit of this account. And in Matthew chapter 8, verse 17, uh, he adds, This was to fulfill what was spoken through Isaiah the prophet. He took up our weaknesses and carried away our diseases. Isaiah 53, verse 4. Take these people bringing their problems and the problems of their neighbors and loved ones to him and seeing Jesus, not, not only would he take up their, to carry away their illness, heal them, he would take up the biggest weakness and the biggest disease we have, the disease of sin. We cannot help but to sin. In and of ourselves, we are not holy before God. And so God became a man. Not only did he live perfectly in our place, but he took our sins upon his own shoulders there on the cross and took the punishment for them and rose so that his blood washes your sins away. And because your sins have been washed away by the faith God gives you, you now can cry out to God the Father as a child cries out to a loving, protective father when they cry, Daddy! You can cry out to your Savior and the Holy Spirit intercedes. There's nothing to stop your prayers because Jesus' blood washes the sin away. So when the kingdom of God comes to you, how do you avoid rejecting it? By gathering to hear the word where it is preached, by taking it into your homes, and by bringing your problems to God. Now, I mentioned already about... uh, Peter's mother-in-law serving, and we want to get into that. Verse 39, and so Jesus stood over her, rebuked the fever, and left her. Then she immediately stood up and was serving them. Uh, The Greek word that's used for serving them is where we get the word deacon, or deaconess. This is a form of ministry. Notice Jesus didn't say, serve me, and then I'll heal your fever, or I'll make a deal with you, You, uh, I'll heal your fever, and then you're obligated to serve me. See, when the kingdom of God comes to you, in the kingdom of God, when you hear that you have a savior and the Holy Spirit enters your heart and creates that new person, you are in the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is especially seen when Christ returns and it's in the invisible church is made visible. But the kingdom of God begins with God ruling over all creation and then using his word to rule in your heart so that you are his child. And how can that not lead us but to say, wow, Lord, you served me by taking on human flesh. You lived a life and even suffered being abandoned by God. So I will never know what it's like to be abandoned by you. Peter's mother-in-law never knew what it was like to be abandoned by God, even with the fever, because God came and did something about it in his timing, giving her assurance her faith was in the right place, right? So she then, out of thanks, serves. Now, God gives us natural talents, natural gifts, and spiritual gifts, and we use them to serve the Lord. We do it out of thanks. If you want to know how you can serve the Lord, don't invent things in your head. Look at the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments tell us these are ten thank yous you give. These are ten ways to worship and praise God. Like gathering to the word, you're actually worshiping God and glorifying him. You receive the benefits because then he strengthens your faith and keeps you in the kingdom through that word. So... When the kingdom of God comes to you, how do you avoid rejecting it? By serving in God, serving God's kingdom once you're in the kingdom. Share the word. Let your faith be seen. Continuing on. Once again at that demon possession. At verse 41. Now also demons were coming out from any while shouting and saying, You yourself are the Christ, the Son of God. And so he kept on rebuking them and was not permitting them to continue speaking because they had perceived him to be the Christ. When the devil led them to rebel against God before the devil even tempted Adam and Eve, don't kid yourself, it was the pre-incarnate Christ along with the Father and Holy Spirit. They could recognize God. They could recognize his glory, even though it was hidden in behind his humanity at this time. 
Why did Jesus rebuke them? Telling them, don't talk anymore? Because they, what they were saying was truth. You are the Christ. You are the Son of God. Now this would be, the Christ is the Greek word for the Hebrew word Messiah. The one that was coming, that was anointed to save. That's it, that's you. Why did Jesus say, amen, you guys, now you have to go out there and you have to preach it. And double his forces. Well, let's take a look, for example, when you look in the book of Acts and the Apostle Paul with his uh, with one of his uh, missionary buddies, Silas, make it to Philippi in Macedonia. And there's a demon-possessed girl, and it follows them around wherever they go, saying, these men are from the Most High God. Listen to them. What the demon was saying was very true. But, you know, sometimes the way people say things, you have to listen to the tone. It can, they can truly be being obnoxious. They can be ridiculing. Paul exercised that demon. This was not a tone that Jesus wanted people to wanted people to hear the testimony about him. You got to consider the source. Do you truly think these demons' goal was to glorify God? They were truly afraid of him, but they still want people to burn in hell with them for all eternity. Now, another thing that we have to recognize is at this time Jesus will tell people he is the Christ. Jesus will at times, for example, tell them, before Abraham was born, I am. And when you understand the Hebrew language, he is saying, I existed. And they got that fact. They wanted to stone him for blasphemy, for claiming to be the son of God. And even when the Sanhedrin tries to, they, they determined to murder him. Now they got to find charges so they can do it legally. Ultimately, uh, when he appears before the high priest, Caiaphas, he's asked, just tell us if you're the son of God. I am who you say. But Jesus wants the people to connect the dots through the faith the Holy Spirit gives them. They hear the word. They see the miracles that testify. They, they come and are baptized. And they know that, Christ, that Jesus is the Christ. So in this particular case, I use the example. I want my children, if they ever get a flat tire and I'm not there, to know how to change their tire and not be stuck on the side of the road. So... When it's time, when I change car oil, it's time to rotate the tires. I always grab one of the kids and say, change that tire. Now, I'll stop and tell them uh, what you're doing. You're going to end up with the car on top of your hand. Or what you're doing is going to break this on the car. That's not where you place the jack. But for the most part, I stand back and let them uh, suffer through. Now, where do I put the jack? So that they learn. Christ doesn't want this witness from the demons. He wants the people to get it. But the point here is, can, that I want you to make here also is, consider the source. Yeah, God preached his word, for example, um, through the mouth of a donkey to uh, warn Balaam. Uh, no, I told you you're not allowed to curse my people when the king of Moab had hired him to curse the people of Israel. But always consider the source. Test what the person is saying. When I tell you, you know, gather to where the word is gathered, don't, you gotta, uh, you've got to trust somebody to teach you that word, but when they're not teaching that word and it's truth and purity, go gather with people where it is and encourage them. Now try to help that person to teach the word and it's truth and purity first, but consider the source. And, and again, in 1 John chapter 4, verse 1, we're told, Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see if they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out in the world. The, de the devil uses those false prophets to lead people away from the word of God. God uses it to show people that's not in accord with my word. Now you know what's false teaching. So when the kingdom of God comes near to you, how do you avoid rejecting it? By testing the message you hear with the message. Now, verse 42 says, Now when, the, when it became day, he went out and traveled into an isolated place. And so the crowds were searching for him and they came up to him. So it's kind of neat the way the Greek says it. They keep searching until they finally find him. 
And then they were detaining him to keep him from traveling away from them. We want to keep you here in Capernaum. We want to keep you and your miracles and your word all to ourselves. Yet he said to them, it's also necessary for me to preach the good news of the kingdom of God to other cities because I was sent with the commission to do this. Literally, the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that includes himself, was sent to share the good news to all the Jewish people and even to the Gentiles. He would send the disciples out to do that. But I've seen it myself as a pastor where people can get confused and they get hung up on secretary work because they can't afford a secretary. Pastor, we need you to fill out all these, to jokingly use a movie, TPS reports and stuff. There gets to be a point where that's hindering the word of God. And there are times in your life where you're going to have need and you're going to need an extra time with the Lord's messenger to apply the word of God for you. But there are times people can get very selfish and get hung up and forget that there's an entire church as well. There, and so we got to remember, even it's sad when people are staying away from the word of God and finally the congregation starts using its resources out of love to come after them. But, you know, come on, come back to church. We need your gifts. You need our gifts. But you really need to be fed by the word of God. They can be taking up so much of that time that they're hindering the word of God as well. So just want to point that out, that how do you uh, when the kingdom of God comes to you, how do you avoid rejecting it by embracing that word and not Hindering it. The people were embracing it. Their hearts were in the right place, but then they wanted it selfishly, completely to themselves. Weren't willing to share it with others, so they were hindering it. Again, back there, uh, starting at verse 43, yet he said to them, It's also necessary for me to preach the good news of the kingdom of God to other cities, because I was sent with the commission to do this. And so he was constantly, or we could say time and time again, preaching into the synagogues of Judea, the whole region. Christ came, the whole nation of Israel was set up to receive the message of the Savior. When the Savior came, God set that up, already was setting it up when he made the promise to Abraham before Abraham even owned even a chunk of grave there in what would later be the nation of Israel. But I'm coming full swing to where I began this. How do we keep from avoiding the kingdom, from rejecting the kingdom of God? Christ took the word to the people and they heard it where it was preached. So, wrap up our whole sermon again today as we look at the people of Nazareth, Jesus' hometown. Wow, look at the authority and they're amazed, but then they go to truck Jesus off a cliff. They rejected it. There was the kingdom of God. When God comes to you with his word, with his forgiveness, he's bringing you into his kingdom. So, when the kingdom of God comes to you, how do you avoid rejecting it? By gathering to hear the word where it is preached, by taking it into your homes, by bringing your problems to God, by serving in God's kingdom by testing the message you hear, by embracing and not hindering it, and by, once again, hearing the word where it is preached. Amen. Let us conclude our sermon with prayer. Let your word, loving Father, be a lamp for our feet and a light to our path, so that we and our children may understand what you would have us know and believe as we walk on the way that leads to eternal life. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord. Amen.